So we're right in the middle of this series called Reset, and, and uh, today we're going to talk about the idea of not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that. So I want to start with a verse of Scripture, of actually two verses of Scripture. The first one is found in the book of Romans, and this is what it says, Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. This is what it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then it says in, in uh, Psalm 25, 20, guard my soul and, and uh, deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed for I take refuge in you. So the question that I would ask you today, and I want you to think about this, are you ashamed a little bit of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't answer that too quickly because the church answer is of course I'm not, right? Of course I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the religious answer. But the truth is, is that why would Paul go out of his way to proclaim that he's not ashamed? And why would the psalmist say that uh, deliver my heart, God, uh, guard my heart so I wouldn't be ashamed? Why would he say that? The answer is, is because you and I have this temptation to be ashamed. And there's some really good reasons why that is in our soul and in our heart. And I want to address those up front and up personal. And, and I hope you, the reset that you make in your life today is to go on a journey where you, where you begin to put Christ in his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords and, and that you realize and recognize that there might be some issues in your life that you have to overcome to really be able to not be ashamed of the gospel. So the question that I want to answer for just a minute here is why in the world would we ever be ashamed of the gospel? Why would we ever, you know, I mean, if you think about what Christ has done for us, that he emptied himself of the right to be regarded as God, he came to this world, he lived a sinless life, he taught amazing things, he healed everyone that came in contact with him, and uh, he went to the cross and died for our sins. Why wouldn't we just want to love him? And why wouldn't we want to just serve him? And why would, we, why would we ever be timid in our thinking or in our speech when someone says, hey, are you one of those? And we kind of, you know, turn red a little bit and, and uh, kind of shrink back. And, and uh, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'm pretty sure today that uh, many of you have been in experiences where you step back from your faith because you were afraid of who was in the audience or who was listening to you or who you were talking to or who you were with. Is that not true? I mean, come on now. Let's just be honest. There's been times that we have all been tempted to, to just kind of apologize for our faith. faith. And uh, I, I want to address that, the reason why we do that. And the primary reason is simply this, is the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It really is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to the unbeliever. That is why it is, it's very offensive. There was a guy by the name of Russell Vowden. He was, uh, he was being confirmed uh, by a subcommittee of the Senate to, to, to take on a pretty high-powered role, and uh, he was a graduate of Wheaton College. And Wheaton College is a Christian college, and Wheaton College had come out with a blog that said that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And uh, what had happened was is the Muslim faith had risen up against them and said, wait a second here, what about us? And, you know, they responded saying, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father 
except through me. So, so there, there were, he was a graduate of that university, and, and he had written a blog himself defending the university's position. And uh, so this committee was grilling him. And, and in the end, you know, one of the senators said, I can't confirm you uh, because of your position with Jesus because it's an, it's an offense. That, what you're saying is an offense to me. And, and, I'm, and he got it right. The truth is, is the gospel, when you understand it in its clarity, the gospel is an offensive thing. And uh, the Bible is very clear that although, although there's dignity in every human being, Jesus said that there is only one way to get to heaven. And either you believe him or you don't. And he did not apologize for that, and, and neither, should, neither should we. What's interesting is, is that, you know, one of our, uh, probably one of your favorite verses and probably in mo- one of my favorite verses is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, at football games, they hold John 3.16 up in the end zone, right? You've seen that before. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John uh, 3.17 says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. But then we get to verse 18. And verse 18 is the most forgotten verse in the Bible. And yet it is right next to John 3.16. And John 3.18 says that bottom line, listen to this verse. This is, this is so powerful. But whosoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's Jesus. Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, you already stand in condemnation before God. So why are we ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the truth is, is that message is hated. And if it's hated, they don't hate the message, they hate the messenger. You all understand that? The reason they put Jesus on the cross cross was because he was the messenger of God and he spoke the truth. And so when you and I identify with Jesus, there's going to be a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of temptation to draw back. And uh, not, only, not only does the Bible tell us that we are condemned without believing in him, but the Bible also tells us, the gospel tells us, that you and I are deeply sinful, broken, and that's the opposite message of what you hear on social media, that we're all good, that, you know, that you know, we're all great, and, you know, it's to believe in yourself, and, uh, and if you just believe in yourself, you're all, you know, that's what the answer to this world is, just you got to believe more in yourself. And the, when you read the Bible, the Bible never says that. The Bible says that you're broken. I don't believe in myself. I believe in God's work in me. That's what I believe. And I believe that God's work in me is amazing. It's called amazing grace, and, and it's a powerful thing. And so the, the Bible tells us that you and I are broken in our very nature, and only the gospel can fix us, and there's not many ways to be fixed. There's only one way to fix, be fixed, and, uh, and, of course, we don't want to be wrong about anything, right? <laughs> Come on now. We don't, want to, we don't have to admit our wrong. And the gospel also tells us clearly that we cannot fix ourselves. And here's what even gets worse is the gospel also tells us that there is a hell. And many sincere people will be sent there. Sincere people, religious people will end up in hell. And, I, you know, as a preacher, I'm telling you, I, do I enjoy standing up and tell you, hey, I know you're sincere, but you're going to hell? I don't enjoy that one bit. I mean, is there a temptation in my life to just look at the positive verses? Absolutely. But the truth is, is that I would be disloyal to Jesus if I didn't speak the whole counsel of God 
and tell it exactly the way it is. And so there is this tendency for us to be a little withdrawn when it comes to those kinds of verses. And, and the truth is, is there is a hell. Uh, Jesus spoke of more of hell than he did of heaven. And it's seen all through the, all through the Old and New Testament. And, uh, and uh, sincere people will end up there. And so this is what you need to know. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what, is, uh, uh, what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The Bible says that I can walk outside of my hut in South America, and I can see creation. And because creation speaks the truth of a God that is a creator, that that makes me accountable to knowing this creator. And because if I live up to that truth, God's going to send me more truth. That's what the Bible says. I'm, I'm held accountable before God. There is no one without accountability, no matter where you live, no matter whether you live in great truth. However, having said that, I want you to know that when you live in the United States of America and you can turn on any television at any time or get on the Internet and you can hear the gospel and you can see it and, you, and you can, there's churches on, you know, in many cities in every corner, the truth is, is that people in our country are going to be held to a greater accountability because of the truth that's prevalent here in this country. So... I mean, that, is that a popular thing to say? Let's have a vote here. You know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Maybe we shouldn't. So in essence, the, the question then is, is that if that's all true, how then do I live my life without a shame, being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do I fight through all that, and how do I live my life, whether I'm a senior in high school or a, or a, a freshman at UNR or, or, or whether I am living in a senior center? How do I live in a culture that rejects the gospel and just wants to have a salvation that everybody's okay? How do I live in a culture like that, and not offend my God? That's a good question, isn't it? Because I need, I need to figure that out. I need to figure out how then I need to relate to the culture I'm in, how then I need to, how I need to live in a, in a way that pleases my Father in heaven. So that's what we're going to spend just a few minutes talking about. The first thing that I want to say is that, is that if you begin to understand the gospel the way I think it's intended to be understood, then... Uh, there are some things about the gospel that are amazing, and those are the things we need to be drawn to. First of all, the Bible says about the gospel that the word gospel itself means good news, right? You knew that? The word gospel means good news, and it is indeed good news. But the truth is, is that for good news to exist, we have to have a context for it. There was a, there was a newspaper that was started, I don't know, you know, maybe 30 years ago, and they never reported any bad news. They only reported good news, and I think that had good news in the title of the newspaper, and I think it was started in the 1970s. You know how long it lasted? It lasted 16 months, and it went bankrupt because they couldn't get any sponsors to pay for the, for, to the, for the paper because nobody wanted to read just good news because good news doesn't have any context if it's just good news. For good news to be good news, there has to be bad news. You all understand that? For good news to be good news, there has to be bad news, and uh, without good news, you know, without bad news, the good news doesn't stand out and, 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 uh, just, and just speak loud, to speak, speak amazing things. So the second thing, that's the first thing, is that the gospel is good news. Second 
thing that I love about the gospel is that there is power in the gospel. There's power in the gospel. When I, when I live out the gospel context of my life, when I believe the gospel, there is power in it, and it is amazing. There's this old dead guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors uh, from, from the past, and this is what he says. I'm going to quote him. He says, God is looking for people through whom he can do in the impossible. That's amazing. What a pity that we can only, that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. So here, here's my question for you. You know, this is a Pastor Dan question. Smile at me. Let me stretch you a little bit. What are you doing today, right now? What are you doing today that your unsaved neighbor can't do? What are you doing today? What are you doing today that uh, if God were to remove himself from you, what are you doing today that could not be done outside of God's intervention and power in your life? That's the power of the gospel. That's the message of the New Testament, that God delights in taking the base things of the world, the weak things of the world, and through the weak things of the world, glorify his name, lift his name on high. So we are people that, you know, we tend to blend into culture, and, and I'm just telling you, there's power in the gospel. When I put myself out there, when I, when, I, when I proclaim that I am a believer, when I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is power in that. There is, there is something that God does when I stand in the gospel. It is such a beautiful truth. And then here's something else about the gospel that I just love. The gospel is the only solution to division. If you look at, if you look at how much our culture is divided right now, this country is divided right down the center, right? And when you think about that, I mean, there, there, are, there, does, there, there are no political solutions. Do you understand that? There are no political solutions. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that can bring unity. When you think about racism in our culture, racism is alive and well, isn't it? I mean, it is, it's alive and well. It is very, very masked at times, but racism is something that is prevalent in the culture that you and I live. So what is the only solution to racism? The only solution is the gospel. The truth is, is the Bible says that when I believe on Jesus Christ, that middle wall of partition, that partition down the center between me and my brothers and sisters is destroyed. And now there is unity. That's what happened in the first century. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. And when Christ came, all of a sudden we found this new birth of this new church, and Jews and Gentiles began the process of, of living together in unity and power and glory for God. That's what the gospel does for our lives. It is a solution for racism. Tony Evans says this, Racism isn't a bad habit. It's not a mistake. It's, it's, it's a sin. The answer is not sociology, it's theology. If you are a racist, let me just say this to you, if you are a racist, then you have bad theology. You don't understand who God is, and you don't understand how God sees people. I mean, that's the truth. So that's the power of the gospel. Oh, that was, a good, that was right on time, right? That note. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk to you about is this is that the gospel is the only thing that produces permanent change. There's a permanent life change in the gospel. It isn't a fad. 
When I got saved back in 1977, my dad, who was an unbeliever, told his friends. He later told me this story. He told his friends that he thought I was 23. I was a student at Nevada. He thought I was going through a phase. But here's the deal. I have never gotten over the gospel. Here I am, old guy, standing on the stage proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody came up to me yesterday. I was at the basketball game. Somebody came up to me yesterday and said, hey, uh, hey how many messages have you done? And I'm going, I don't know how many messages that I've done, but there are thousands, thousands of them over the years. And uh, as I was, I was reflecting on that, I was thinking, you know what? My message is the same today as it was 40 years ago. It hasn't changed. My life, my convictions, my hope, my desires, it hasn't changed. The gospel is the only thing that I know that can bring permanent, lasting change that doesn't just last in this lifetime. It lasts into the next life. And it is amazing. So when I begin to recognize all the things that the gospel is and the power of the gospel and how it changes lives, it makes me not ashamed of the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell. That God is selective in who he chooses and who doesn't. And that's up to him. And I'm okay with that. So here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to just do something fun today. I think it's fun. If you've been saved, if you've been saved for 25 years, you, you got saved like 25 years or better, you know, maybe 60 years. I don't know how long you've been saved. But if you've been saved more than 25 years, I want you to do me a favor right now, and I want you to stand to your feet. I just want you to stand. Look at that. All over the audience. In the balcony. Now, listen. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me ask you, those that are standing, was this just a fad? Was this just a phase in your life? Or do you still believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life? Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. So in just a few minutes, we're going to, we're going to do some baptisms here. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and we're going to have some folks come up here, and we're going to baptize them. And what is amazing about that is that this is what they're proclaiming. This is, their, this is a step for them. This is a step for them to come forward and to say, I am not ashamed. I don't care who knows it. I don't care. I'm not hiding it from anybody else. I am going to tell, I'm going to tell the world, put it on camera, let the Internet have it, and uh, we're just going to rejoice in the fact that they are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a great celebration for that reason, right? Amen? Amen? So if you're here today and you have believed on Jesus but yet not have, but haven't been baptized since you've believed on Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to get baptized as well. You don't have to sign up. This is what you have to do. We're going to sing one more song. This is what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to, when we sing this next song, I want you to head to the back. And uh, the next song is amazing, by the way, but you can listen to it while you're walking back. So I want you to walk back there. They have a, a shirt for you and some clothes, and, uh, they, and then you just come back out. They give you a little instruction, and, uh, and uh, we'll baptize you today, just today. And uh, if when I'm saying that, if your heart starts pounding a little bit faster than it normally pounds, 
That's probably God speaking to you. If you've never been baptized since you've been saved, say, well, I was baptized as a baby. That's not since you've been saved. It's like you get saved and then you get baptized. The first time around, I'm just not trying, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just going to listen to me carefully. The first time around, you got baptized to please your parents. You had no control over it. If you got baptized as a baby, you had no control. They just took you. They, out of your will, they took you. It's like a kidnapping, a snatching. They took you to the church, and they got water all over you. And I'm just saying, that is not what baptism is. Baptism is when you, when you decide to make a decision to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And it is a beautiful expression of our belief in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are buried with him and that we are raised together with him in the newness of life. It is a very powerful proclamation. So if you would like to make that proclamation, uh, we'd love to have you do that. Here's what we're going to ask you. You know, for logistical reasons, we're asking if you're under, if you're not at least 10 years old, then, then we would like to take you through a process to get you baptized. So this is for people that are 10 years old, 10 years or older. But if you're ready to do that, we're ready to baptize you. And it is going to be a great day. So let me pray. And uh, we're going to sing a song, and don't hesitate. There'll be people waiting for you in the back. They'll take care of your needs. They'll tell you what to do, and uh, it will be a beautiful day for your life. Father, thank you for this day, and I pray, God, that your spirit will just work an amazing work in the next 10 minutes as we watch these folks get baptized. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen.